Hi, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Lighthearted. My name is Anna. And my name is Bracey, and we're two average gals chatting about what it means to grow. How have you been growing this week? I I don't know that I am. I we so, okay. So we had Like Hearts Club last week, which if you haven't gotten into the club, go join lightcarded.substack.com. We had a really great conversation about sort of a New Year's in July situation, like mid-year check-in. And I think talking to y'all really made me realize how out of sorts I was. And so I was like, on Monday, I'm going to get my shit together. Mm-hmm. And I did. Monday was like super productive. And then it just sort of petered out. And I think what the realization I've come to is that my physical energy right now is just not good. I'm starting to catch up on sleep because Delaney's miraculously sleeping through the night. Praise be. What a little angel. I know. And I'm just still tired during the day, like physically exhausted. And so I I don't like, I don't know what to do about that. Do you think that you could be B12 deficient like you were Uh, a couple years ago? I mean, probably. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, have been taking my vitamins pretty regularly. So like I would hate that. But I know that breastfeeding takes a lot out of your body. So yeah, it's possible. I've really been putting off going to the doctor because my doctor likes to comment on my weight. And as we know Mm -hmm. from our episode with Julia, that like that's not a great way to be as a doctor. (laughs) I know. I actually have a friend who one time went to the doctor and she just like went in there and was like, I don't want to be weighed. Yeah. I know you can do that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I've never actually thought about doing it for myself because most of the time it doesn't bother me that much, but I don't know. I'm also like, do I need a pulse on like how much weight I've actually gained? But probably not. Mm -mm. (laughs) Julia would say no. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Yeah. I've also been considering going back to my same practice, but like trying a different doctor. Yeah. The doctor I had was so, so nice and very helpful with all of my insomnia Mm-hmm. vitamin deficiencies like he was the one that really figured that out for me so I, I hate and he's he really is just one of those people that's so nice it's just a it comes up every time and I'm like I don't know what to tell you yeah so maybe I'll try a different doctor in the same practice yeah I think that sounds like a great plan yeah how are you growing I would say I have been growing a little bit this week by taking care of myself a little bit better in a different way. I have had so many headaches this week and oh my gosh, these headaches plague me and I just wish I could figure out what the trigger is because it is so annoying. It's not even that I'm in so much pain that, oh, this is too painful to to live with. It's not that. It's just that it's so annoying to have a headache off and on all day for days. Yeah. Yeah. And so I know I need to go back to acupuncture because that always helps me. It's just I'm bad at being consistent or I'm bad at – I will be consistent for little chunks of time. And then when I get out of the swing of it, I just let it go for a while until I'm like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I need to go back. So I need to do that. But this week, I have not been pushing myself to go do other things while I have a headache, which I normally do. Yeah, that's great. I'm just like, you know what? My head hurts, so – I'm going to just take it easy because it'll pass eventually and the things that I need to do will still be there waiting for me whenever I don't feel bad anymore. So I'm going to just Look at you. I'm so proud. Thank you so much. Doing the reasonable thing that most other people (laughs) do. (laughs) Yes. 
Okay, well, I'm pretty excited actually about our episode that we are going to talk about today because it's one that is obviously a huge part of my life and honestly a huge part of most people's lives because people go to school. Yeah. (laughs) They get an education. This topic is courtesy of Sebastian George. He wanted to ask Anna some questions about education and kids and technology and all of those things. Mm -hmm. He sure did. Okay. Well, before we start talking about me, what was your elementary school like? Of course you would. Of course. (laughs) Anna. Well, I need something to base it off of, you know? Okay. All right. All right. Maybe my education was different than yours. I don't know. We both grew up in small North Carolina towns, so... Yes. And I actually went to a year on school starting in second grade, which was it was like the first year on school in the area. So that was a little bit different. That is different. How long did you do the year on schooling? I think it was second through fifth grade. That's very cool. Which, yeah, I really liked it. And Seb's mom is a teacher and she recently switched to year round, which has been kind of fun because she's off at random times so she can like be over here with the baby and things like that. Yeah. Also, it's great for camps because you can like do all these mini camps throughout the year. Absolutely. And it's also better for kids learning because they don't go three months without potentially getting any academic support. And so they don't lose as much of their learning as they do when they take a really long break. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So it's really good for elementary aged kids specifically. Hmm. But, you know. Tourism is alive and well, and it's very strong. So people don't often do that. Yeah. I think I went to a year-round school for like one year. I feel like our elementary school, I don't know if they were trialing it or if they had been doing it. And then when I got there, they stopped after one year. I can't remember. But I think my mom, who also was a school employee, she was a counselor. I think she really liked year-round school. I was about to ask, do you think that you would like a year-round schedule now as an adult? I would definitely be open to it. I love having a lot of time off in the summer, but at the same time, there are parts in the year where I'm like, oh my gosh, summer is so far away. And so I think having like a few week long break like in the middle would be kind of nice. I think it's hard though for parents to plan around that if there isn't daycare available or if there aren't a lot of camps or something like that, like that's kind of hard. Yeah. Cause there's more support in the summer, I feel like, mm-hmm. but yeah, my parents always liked it. Cause we would go on trips sometimes in the spring and the fall. And that was nice. Cause it was like off season and yeah. we weren't there for, you know, f- cause for parents too, it's like summer's kind of long sometimes. Oh yeah. <laughs> These kids have been around here way too much. I'm like, please let them go back to school. I feel like parents feel like that too when we have snow days and they just take a really long time for like the ice to melt and the roads to be safe. They're like, oh my gosh, please get these kids out of my house. Yeah. So I feel like year-round schedule is nice if there are resources for parents during the off time. So maybe we should just switch everybody to year-round. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing too, is it would have to be a choice that the whole county did at minimum, because also when you think about older grades and sports are involved, that makes things even trickier. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, can you tell us a little bit about how things are different in the school system now than like when we were growing up? They are so different, <laughs> at least from, I mean, obviously, like we only can speak from our experience of going to the elementary school and the middle school that we went to in our small North Carolina town. So I don't know if this was different across the board, but I think education varies a a decent bit across states. 
Mm-hmm. I know when I, you know, I worked in North Carolina schools and then I came out to Oregon and I think because I was coming to Portland and the, their biggest city and it's very liberal, I just expected that their education would be maybe further ahead than North Carolina, but that was wrong. Like some things that they were just starting to talk about had been implemented in North Carolina schools for like several years. Really? Like what? The number one thing that I remember was restorative justice, that they were just starting to talk about that. In, in North Carolina schools, like I had already been going to trainings about restorative justice and learning how to implement it in groups and all this stuff for a couple of years. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I was like, oh, you guys are further behind. And then when I talked to people, they're like, oh, yeah, Oregon, they're behind the ball a bit when it comes to educational practices, which I thought was interesting. Okay. Tell us folks who are not familiar with these terms what restorative justice is. So restorative justice is a way of kind of solving problems, having mediation in more of a community aspect than it is of punitive. So instead of suspending a kid when they do something that they're not supposed to do, it's having like a restorative conversation between that kid and maybe, I mean, obviously staff members would be a part of it, but if it was like directed towards staff or towards students, having a space where they could talk about how they felt and maybe why they did the things that they did and being able to have a conversation about that and make a plan together on how to move forward versus being like, all right, well, you're suspended for three days and then they come back and it's just like, okay, nothing really got changed. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's similar to what I've heard about parenting, where if you get buy-in from kids on what the consequences will be of like certain actions and they're more likely to respond to the actually having the consequences put in place. Yeah, absolutely. And also it gives the kids an opportunity to feel heard. Mm-hmm. And to explain like what the behavior behind it is, like what, why, right. why do they even think about doing that in the first place? Right. And even if I tell this to teachers and, and parents all the time, you can validate how a kid feels without validating what they said. So even yeah. if, you know, they're like, my teacher's such an idiot. They lot, they said, I didn't turn this thing in and I know I already turned it in. And they just lost it or whatever. I've definitely heard that one before. Like you can validate that they feel frustrated that they feel like their work was lost and now they're going to have a consequence for that when they don't feel like that's fair without being like, yeah, your teacher is an idiot. You're right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think that's a big change and I think a positive change in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Do you remember having any type of mediation or anything when you were a little kid? I don't imagine that you got in trouble a lot, but. (laughs) (laughs) First child things. Yes. No, I don't think so. I wasn't in trouble often for sure. But even, you know, the people around me that I saw, that was definitely like you did this and you get, you know, ISS or OSS or lunch detention or whatever. And there was not a conversation about it. Yeah. I remember our elementary school and my mom helped run this. So I should have asked her some questions before we got on here, but we had a program called Peer Mediators. And I remember like going somewhere to be trained in it, like as a fifth grader, but I do not remember using it in any way. Oh, actually doing it. Hmm. Well, that's a bummer. Sounds like it might be fun. I know. And maybe I did and I just like don't remember it at all, but it it was a cool program. I I, I remember really enjoying getting to like be a part of it and be like, oh, I'm going to help people solve problems, you know, (laughs) my favorite. Okay. One big change for especially kindergarten and 
maybe first grade, is no more naps. What? I know. Did you? I mean, I'm sure you definitely napped in kindergarten. Oh, yeah. Honestly, that's kind of, I don't know. How do, how do parents feel about that? I mean, kindergarten is no longer, they're not coming in for nap time. They're not playing a whole lot. It is, it's really like boot camp for first grade, I'd say. It, I feel like kindergarten used to be a lot more similar to preschool with mm-hmm. just some more intentional learning of their letter sounds and letter identification and their numbers and all that stuff. And now it really isn't like that. <laughs> it's like, interesting. you came in here to learn how to read and we're going to get you reading by the immediately. End of the year and <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's a lot more academic than it used to be. I don't know how I feel about that. I know. I think that they could probably do a better mixed model. Like I think it's great to, you know, get kids started on their foundational skills that they need for the rest of their learning journey. That's great. But yeah, I, I feel like free play is also really important. So I think it could be incorporated in a more equal way than it is now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that this is far off in the future, but now that you're a parent, do you feel like you are more aware of the schools in your neighborhood? And are they like quote unquote, good schools, which I'm always curious when people are like, oh, we moved here because the schools are really good. I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know what it means. Also, I think knowing so many people who work in education, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I think it totally depends on the principal and the programs that are in place at the time and what teacher they have. Like, there's a lot of factors that go into whether a kid's going to get a good education year to year. Mm hmm. And I also think that just as a person in general, I value good, quote unquote, good education less than our parents' generation did. Mm -hmm. I believe that our children will learn to read. I know that that's true. Mm -hmm. And they will probably get the other skills that they need, like math and, you know, whatever else. And I think there's a lot of value in the other parts of our education that maybe are now becoming devalued. Like diversity is important to me. So like, I don't want to eat my words on this, but I don't think I would ever send my children to private school unless there was like an extreme situation. Right. I appreciate art and music and all of those programs that don't always exist anymore. And so I just feel like if, you know, if my kids aren't A students, I'm not going to be upset about it. I don't think unless there's some sort of like behavioral issue behind it. If school's in their thing, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I love that you, you know, brought up math (laughs) because another change that, at least from the school I went to, is that there is a lot more of an emphasis on math and science than there used to be. Like the STEM programs are way more developed than they used to be. And the school that I work at, actually the kids in fourth and fifth grade this year got to go to a starbase camp for they went for like five weeks i think like it was like once a day every week for five or six weeks and they just got to do these like insane science activities that's cool they loved it so much they had such a good time and they're gonna get to go again in september so i'm really excited for them that's amazing i think that introducing them to stem stuff especially for girls is probably good Mm -hmm. Um, I just like, I personally think that as much diversity in the learning as possible is good. Mm -hmm. So, you know, science and art or whatever. Yeah. I would say there's a lot more diversity and inclusion in the types of books that they read and the history that's studied now than there used to be. Not that I'm sure in some classrooms or some schools, 
that wasn't always like at the forefront of their minds. Maybe it was, but now more than ever, I think it's important that teachers are picking books that are more representative of just like a diverse background of people instead of it always being about the white character. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm glad. Yeah, for sure. So that's a very positive change. One thing that I noticed this year, I don't know if kids are just smarter than they I think they used to be or something like that. I don't know if it's like the age of the internet or or what, but there was a kid who was doing a research project on this gap in history having to do with armor. And he wrote hmm. like a whole research paper on this topic. And I just thought, wow, I would never have thought about doing anything remotely similar to this when I was 16 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably he was playing to his interests though, right? Like maybe he's interested in like military history or something. And, you know. But isn't that like such a unique yeah, 100%. But I I do fully think that every generation gets smarter. I think that like okay. genetically, you know, we take what our parents give us and then we just get better, you know? Yeah. Okay. That, so. makes me, that makes me feel better. But I'm like, I just feel like kids are smarter today than I ever was as a high schooler. <laughs> I don't know. They just care. And they the things they talk about and the things they care about, they're just so much more involved, I feel like, in worldly things. And I'm sure that does have you know, almost everything to do with the access to information that they have now that we didn't have, you know, pre-internet, pre-social media, all that stuff. They have so much more exposure, which in some ways is bad and in some ways is benefiting them. Yeah. I mean, I feel like information is a tool. You can use it however you want, you know, <laughs> like I, I think it can be really good if used the right way. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on how you might monitor the use of social media. <laughs> that was an immediate hand to the head, eyes closed moment for Bracey. I don't. I think that this is, a, it's so important. And I just don't think there's like good answers right now. Mm -hmm. I'm lucky that there's a full generation of parents ahead of me that have started testing what works and what doesn't. So hopefully by the time we get there, like it won't yeah. be as big of an issue, but I will say I did the research on like screen time for kids. And mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this on here, but like content and speed of content is more important than like the hours that the length of time that they're okay. looking at a screen. So that's what I'm paying attention to for now. I, would like to hold off on phones and social media as long as possible yeah. currently. That's yeah. what I'm thinking is the best because it's just not from what I've heard. Again, mm -hmm. I haven't done the research yet, but kids brains just aren't fully formed and the social media is and because of that social media can be negatively harmful um, mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, like most cases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you think about it working in schools? I don't know. I think that again, yes, like you said, it's a tool and it, if used in good ways, positive ways, it is amazing. But I just think when kids are that young and their self-esteem is going through such a roller coaster ride and their hormones are crazy, just that's a really tough time. Like I can't imagine having social media when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler. Like I'm so thankful that that was not a thing. 
Yeah, but the other the other side of it that I can totally see the argument like coming from a kid, especially like a teenager's side, mm-hmm. is like if you don't allow me on social media, like I'm missing out on connections with my oh, peers. Like I'm basically percent. being left out because you like you're forcing me to be be left out. Yeah, which sucks too. But yeah, yeah, I don't know that there's a good answer. I feel like it's just it has to be implemented with some very specific boundaries. But I don't even know what yeah. the boundaries are exactly or. I don't either. That's why I'm like already dreading middle school specifically for this reason. Like that won't even be a thought that crosses my mind until we get there. But and even then I'm thinking maybe we start with a phone that isn't a smartphone. Like Mm -hmm. you can call and text your friends, but we're not doing the Internet thing. Which would that even be an option? Yeah, I think that they make them now specifically for specifically for this purpose. Okay. All right. All right. There's a market for it for sure for like kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I just can't even imagine seeing like a flip phone in 10 years. <laughs> but yeah, it probably, it'll still be there. What was your first phone and how old were you when you got it? I think I was in seventh grade and it was some sort of flip phone. Yeah. I can't remember okay. exactly. My second one was a razor, I think. Oh my God. I know. It was so cool. So cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I got a phone specifically so that like if there were issues with scheduling for sports that I could yeah. call my mom if I needed a ride or something, totally. which makes sense. 100%. And I think too, at that time, I don't know, it's like you weren't thinking about using the phone for something else. You know, like it was like, oh, I yeah, have because there was to call my mom. <laughs> and that's, and it's just like, okay, like, whatever. Yeah. It was like, you could call your friends if they had a phone, but like not a lot of my friends had, I think I was on the early side of getting Mm -hmm. a phone. Mm -hmm. And I, this year was listening to a lot of drama that happened in like fourth and fifth grade over the weekend because they were texting each other and we were texting all weekend and they said this and they said that and And I think it's even harder because it's when you are, I mean, it's hard as a grown up sometimes to decipher somebody's tone over text. Yeah. But as a, you know, a 10 year old, it's, you know, exponentially harder, I would think. And so it just ends up causing so much drama. Yeah. But like, would that drama still like, surely there's still drama that exists, even if they don't have phones. Because to me, I'm thinking about like, okay, yes, it's causing some additional social like complications Mm -hmm. and they have to learn how to do it eventually. So it's like, how can we slow roll them into like, responsibly using this tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it does at least allow for some good conversations about how, what our coping skills are and how do we navigate different situations and all that stuff. So yeah. And like in that specific instance, like maybe how to actually just ask a question that might mm-hmm. clarify mm-hmm. with, you know, like how to have those types of interpersonal communications where you're not sure what tone they meant. And can you tell me, can you tell me like, is there a problem here? Yeah. So tough. When did you get a phone? I got a phone, I think when I was 14, maybe 15. Yeah. I Actually, I think I was 15 because I think I got one a year earlier than either of my sisters. I think they got one when they were 16. Mm. And it was a flip phone and I could play that like snake game on it. Yeah. That snake game is fun. <laughs> All right. Tell us more about social emotional learning. Yes. I, I feel like especially after the pandemic that that has become so much of a bigger focus than it maybe ever was and that the teachers and just grown-ups in general have really started to understand that kids are not going to be able to learn if 
their emotions are out of whack and if they don't know how to cope with their emotions and all that stuff, like they're, they're not going to be in a headspace for learning. And so that that has become so much more important. And in our, in my school, I go into classrooms and I teach lessons every week, but then also a lot of teachers have their own daily social emotional component with their class. And so I think that's really special and I think has contributed to a lot of really close relationships with students and a lot more comfortability, a lot more vulnerability in the classroom communities themselves. What do those lessons look like? I mean, it totally depends on the curriculum. For the last two years, we had one that was called Sources of Strength. And we kind of went through, we had like a wheel and it was like mental health support, family support, friends, mentors, like there was a, there was like eight or nine different types of supports that somebody might have. And then, you know, we just did lessons on kind of four or five lessons in each category. And then at the end of the year, they would have their like whole wheel filled out of different people or different parts of their lives that they can go to when they need some strength, you know? And then the one that we did this year, it had a lot more videos, which was somewhat fun for me because I didn't have to talk as much. But I think in the older grades, that gets a little bit harder because they're just harsher critics on on the videos. And they're like, this is stupid. Mm. (laughs) That's not all kids talk, that little voice. I would say in general, though, of across all curriculums, there's a big component of building a community within the classroom that feels comfortable talking about emotions, that is comfortable talking about how to support our friends that's comfortable talking about what our individual coping skills are, how people have different needs in different situations. Yeah, we talk about all that stuff. We talked a lot about conflict resolution this year, trying not to assume that somebody's mad at you if they just actually need space because they're dealing with their own thing. And like how you were saying before, like how to ask those questions, how to get more information. I love that this is a thing I'm thinking about throughout this conversation. I've thought a lot about the opportunities that I was afforded that other kids weren't. Mm -hmm. And I'm right specifically right now. I'm thinking about how when we were growing up, there were quote unquote bad kids and Mm -hmm. probably they didn't have this, these skills that they needed to be able to cope with regular things, much less get the education that they needed. And also just on the same topic, I remember having like lots of opportunities because I was in the gifted programs. Mm, yeah. And I'm like, why were the resources put? I mean, I guess it's nice. It's good that, you know, like kids who maybe could be learning at a higher rate are, are given opportunities to yeah. do that. But also maybe those resources could be used better on the kids who are struggling to keep up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's such a tricky balance because you want to meet every kid where they are and mm-hmm. you want to challenge every kid regardless of their skill level and support them in whatever way they need. Every kid deserves that across the board. And at the end of the day, a lot of school systems comes down to money, you know? And yeah. so the school budgeting and the amount of funds that every school gets is really fascinating. You know, the school that I work at is so cool. Like we do mixed grades, which I love. I think that it allows for so much of that learning to happen where it needs to happen. So if you have a second grader who is a little bit more advanced in reading or whatever, like they have some third grade peers that they can be paired up with. And they also have the ability to like go to a fourth and fifth grade classroom if they need to or whatever, like there's just so much flow that happens in the mixed grade classrooms. 
Mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. But it also allows for, you know, if you have a third grader who's in a two, three classroom and they are really struggling in math or whatever, like they have peers in their classroom that they can be with and they can learn in that group. It allows for more movement that doesn't feel maybe as targeted or something to some kids. It's not like that Mm -hmm. third grader is going down to a second grade classroom to get the support that they need. It's like, oh, we're just all in the same class together, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Do you feel like the social and emotional learning has improved behavior outcomes for kids? Yeah, I would say it has improved it, but I would say it has improved it more from the adult side because like social emotional learning is so much more a part of their school day and their school life that grownups are more attuned to what's going on with a kid versus when they used to just look at it as there's there's Johnny again like acting out like he always does like oh he needs to go to the principal's office he needs to be suspended there's Mm -hmm. so much more care taken to let's look at Johnny as a whole child like what's his home life like what Mm -hmm. skills does he have because the thing is like kids do well if they can no kid is coming to school and is like, well, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to wreak havoc today because that sounds fun. Like that's not mm-hmm. that's not how kids operate. And so I feel like there's a lot more grace given to kids and a lot more understanding given on what's going on with them and trying to figure out how do we support them versus how do we punish. I just love this so much. It reminds me of our conversation from Unlocking Us, The Living Big. Mm assumption of positive intent like totally. people are just doing their best totally maybe we should give adults social emotional learning classes oh my gosh like all of us it would be amazing everybody needs it <laughs> we really do <laughs> there's always more to learn and it's really funny sometimes this year like when i've been talking to kids and they're like do you ever get angry I'm like, oh yeah absolutely they're like yeah. you do you know it's like they that has not changed as far as like kids having a hard time conceptualizing adults outside of the school building and outside of the one role that they know them as it's really funny like Mm -hmm. you just never seen that and I'm like well (laughs) I'm at work so yeah why would I be mad like what's (laughs) you know (laughs) also even if I was why would I show you you're eight like (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not that's not our roles in this moment Okay, some other sort of interesting changes. Well, this one is a sad one, but also a reality one is that now all schools have like active shooter response plans. Mm, I hate that. It's just, it makes me feel so heartbroken every time we, I'm glad that we have a response team, but I'm sad that we need to have one, you know? Yeah. I actually know somebody who ended up pulling her kid out of school because she was so afraid of the drills. That's really sad. But also leads me to another big change is I think the amount of anxiety in kids around school performance has gone up exponentially. Really? I mean, I don't know. Do you remember having any sort of anxiety when you were in school when you were little or having any peers or having anybody in your class who experienced a lot of anxiety in general or around school specifically? I mean, I would say that I definitely felt pressured to do well, but I don't know that I had mm-hmm. like extreme anxiety or anything like that. Sure, sure, sure. Did that pressure start in elementary school or was that more of a high school thing? Okay. No, I think it was elementary school. Like elementary. EOGs and stuff. EOGs. I think part of this is post-pandemic of like separation anxiety type of thing. 
that that has increased mm-hmm. a lot. But I, I, I mean, I have conversations with kids who are so anxious about just getting their classwork done, or if if I don't get a hundred on this art project I'm doing while I'm in the third grade, I'm not going to get into a good college. It, it, what? It's, I think it's because kids have so much more access to information, you know, than they used to. They know so much more about the world and that is impacting them, you know? Yeah, that's crazy. I actually had a friend who was asking about like, are you going to encourage your mm-hmm. children to go to college? And I was like, I'm not sure I'm not. Because I think they're a lot, especially our generation, there's just so many people who aren't mm-hmm. using their degrees for what they do. I mean, they can go if they want to, especially if there's a job that they want to do that is very, mm-hmm. like, you need the skills mm-hmm. that you would learn in college, but we'll save for their future. And if they want to go to trade school, great. If they want to open a business, yeah. great. You know, like, I don't even care. Yeah. But it sounds like I need to like start saying that. Like, yeah. you don't have to go to college. Yeah. Go it's ahead fine. and tell Pig right now. <laughs> Eight months old. <laughs> yep. I would say there is less interest in college in general because kids are so aware of school debt. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing. You have mm-hmm. to weigh the cost and sometimes mm-hmm. it's not Absolutely. worth it. And I think too, yeah, these kids see that, like you just said, people don't necessarily use their degrees. You know, if you want to be a nurse or you want to be a teacher or, you know, a million other jobs, I'm sure that would require another level of higher education, but like tech jobs, for example, you don't necessarily need to go get a four-year yeah. degree to do that. Nope. I feel like my my degree specifically was somewhat applicable to what I've done, but everything that was very useful to me, I learned on the job. Yeah. And one cool thing that Oregon does is if you graduate, I think it's just with a 2.0. I don't think it's 2.5. I think it's 2.0 or higher. You can go to any Oregon community college for two years for free. That's genius. Yeah. I just... I wish we would do more of like a gap year Mm -hmm. situation or like just I had no idea what I wanted to do at 18. Not a clue. And then you spend a bunch of money or your parents do or whatever to, you know, just kind of figure it out, (laughs) which is maybe not the best use of that money. But I'm like, oh, if I had had the option to go to community college and I loved my college experience, so I don't. I say this in with hindsight 100% is like being able to go and get your associate's degree and just take a bunch of general classes and kind of figure out what you are more interested in, what you want to narrow it down to without accruing $20,000 plus worth of debt. That's awesome. That's a great deal. It really is. But I do think the one hard thing is that because we've systematized this, like you go to high school and you go to college is like, if you don't go to college, you miss mm-hmm. the social experience of college, yeah. which is hard. I don't think there's a lot of kids that would electively opt out of that because it's like yeah. the thing that you do. And also it's fun. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's obviously a lot of other benefits versus just the classes that you have access to. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, speaking of changes since the pandemic, what else has changed? I would say the biggest thing is technology, which is going to come to no surprise to anyone. Not that kids don't write with paper anymore because they do. However, almost everything is done on a computer, especially in middle school and high school. They just, yeah, they're, you know, they got Google classrooms. They submit all their work through their unless they're doing like some sort of art project or a poster for a class or something like that, pretty much everything is on the computer. Even state testing is on the computer now. Do they just get a computer at the beginning of the year? Is that how that works? 
the school that I'm at, they they can check out a computer that is their computer for the year if they need one. And then mm-hmm. for the younger grades, they just have these like huge computer carts and yeah, every kid gets like assigned one. But it's not something they normally take home because they don't do homework in like the lower grades usually. Okay. But yeah. Okay. And it's interesting. I mean, it's awesome because it's like, well, yeah, everything that you are gonna do as a grown up is gonna be on the computer. So learning how to type at a really young age is a really useful skill. And it actually is used as like an Mm -hmm. accommodation for some kids that really struggle to get their thoughts out pen to paper. And so Mm. they are still developing their spelling skills. Sometimes that can really trip kids up and they don't produce as much work because they're so nervous that they're going to spell the word wrong. Interesting. Or like they get to a word, they can't figure out how to spell it. And then they don't, it takes them forever to finish the assignment because they can't get past that one word. Yeah, that makes total sense. And so that's a really big one, which obviously has its pros and cons, you know? What would you say the big pros and cons are? So the obvious pros are that the internet and using computers like that, I can't think of a job. That's not true. As soon as I said it, I'm like, esthetician. Other <laughs> <But laughs> than that. Uh, maybe not, because if you have a social media presence and a website, then you're using the internet. That's true. Like, are there any jobs at this point that don't use the internet and computers in some capacity? Like, probably I feel like even just for communication, if even if you're, I don't know, a garbage man, like, probably you're doing some sort of email or something with your boss, right? You're right. So, in that sense, it's just, like, they're growing up with the technology that exists to them in the moment, which makes perfect sense because they're going to continue to more easily, like, learn things as it, I mean, I don't even know what could possibly happen at this point that we don't already have, but the kids will learn it. Mm-hmm. They'll pick it up. No, no problem. So that's great. We're not keeping them away from a skill that they re- actually need. Right. Cons, though, they have more screen time than maybe they already do. They're mm-hmm. spending, I would say, a decent amount of time on computers, especially in high school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just extra screen time with, mm-hmm. I think, well, I'm, I'm going to take that back. I don't think I know <laughs> that technology can be very distracting. And we've talked on here some, I think, about how like technology is a tool and learning how to use it is the important part. But when you are an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old and you're supposed to be doing something on your computer, like looking up a topic for your research PowerPoint or something like that, it's really easy to get distracted by games. Yeah. Mm-hmm all that type of stuff. So they're already probably battling some level of attention just because they're kids. And so then to add like another layer of distraction on top of that or something else that they have to battle against can be kind of tricky. Are there any types of controls on their computer like where they have to stay focused on a certain page? Well, there are lots of sites that are blocked Mm -hmm. for sure. And there are actually some programs that I think they're kind of expensive. I think our school district actually looked into it this year, but that you can basically like lock the screens so that they aren't able to go to other websites. That isn't helpful if you are letting them like use the computer for like research types of things. And then there are also other programs that you would be able to pull up something and see what website every single kid in your class is on. Oh, that's interesting. It's just really expensive and a lot of schools don't have, you know, an extra 50K lying around to use towards something like that. Yeah. Hmm. So. That is a tough one. 
it's tricky. And that kind of leads us in a little bit to AI, which was a specific question that Seb had, which this Mm -hmm. is very fascinating. Yeah, he was specifically curious about like the chat GPT stuff Mm -hmm. and which for those of you, I don't know, I feel like most people have heard of it by now, but it's like an AI tool where you basically put in what you want and it spits it out, which is crazy. In like 10 seconds, it spits it out. Mm -hmm. And I know there are definitely some drawbacks to AI and some like things that we should be concerned about. But I also think personally that there are some really cool things that they're doing. And I heard somebody recommend the other day, somebody was doing a job search. And instead of like putting in a bunch of work to write cover letters and resumes, they were like, why don't you put it in chat GPT and see Mm -hmm. what you get? Like it's a starting point. Mm -hmm. I was like, what a great use of that tool. A thousand percent. I actually used it for, there was a coworker who she was like writing something for one of a grad program that she's in. And she was like, Hey, can you answer some questions for me about the uh, being a behavior specialist and like how they get your services, like what things you run up against or whatever. And she needed it really quickly. And I was like, I don't really have time to do this. So I'm going to put it in chat GPT and see what they spit out. And then I just edited it to make more sense for me. But I was like, this just saved me so much time. And I felt like I was able to give her something that was very well written (laughs) in like 10 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. There's so many cool things that it can do. Yes. And this is going to be, I, I don't know if the youth know about this yet. They probably do because they know oh, about sure, everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. I have no idea how they're going to monitor this in schools because I'm sure I was trying to see if I could log into it right now, but I'm sure if I typed in, tell me about the metaphors in Hamlet <laughs> or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would spit out an essay for me that was really well written, probably super accurate. And I don't know that there is a way to check plagiarism on chat GPT or f- is there any way to trace it? I have no idea. So I feel like for at least middle school and high school, I don't know how to. they're going to monitor this. I think it could potentially be a big problem because <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I can see the argument of if kids are able to use every resource that they have available to them to turn in a product that they need to turn in, that's great, you know? Mm -hmm. And how do you teach them to look for the metaphors? How do you, how do you teach them to think critically about things if they don't have to, if they can go to a website and say, think critically for me? Yeah. I mean, I think that comes down to like, you almost have to do it in the classroom without the technology available. And it's funny because I'm wondering if teachers had these types of conversations when calculators were invented, because it's basically Mm. like, why would we let them use a tool that can just do the work for them? Yeah. And now it's, you know, a tool that we have on our phones every day. Totally. Well, and I see this about spelling a lot, too, is that some teachers are like, I mean... Yeah, they're not great at spelling, but they don't actually need to know how to spell because when you type in an email or you type in a Word document, if it's misspelled, it underlines it for you and then you can click on it and find. Yeah. And most of the time, like then you learn how to spell it from that correction. At least I I would say like most people do. Eventually, yeah. yeah, Over time, you'll you'll get it. I think this argument is a little bit different because critically thinking is important, but I think there might be other ways to teach that other than an essay, you know? Sure. Absolutely. And I I think, though, it could be interesting that the advancement in technology might then send us backward 
in that we might start seeing a lot more pen to paper. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's basically the thing with math though, with the calculator, it's like, we're teaching kids how to do it without letting them have the calculator. Mm -hmm. And if you send them home to do math homework, you don't know if they're going to use a calculator or not. Right. You can make them show their work in math, but you can't really do that. And yeah, with an essay. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out and what the solutions are that people are going to come up with. Yeah, it is fascinating for sure. But it's such a cool tool at the same time. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I honestly have been trying to figure out if there's a way we can use it for like podcast marketing. Yeah. I'm I haven't sure actually played is. around with it. So um, yeah, I'm sure there is. I just don't know like if there's an easy way to do it, I guess. Yeah. Well, thanks for answering all my education related questions. That was really interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, it was fun to talk about. Thanks, Seb. Well, special shout out. I know. I enjoy listening to you talk about things that you are passionate about. I would like to do more of that, even though it makes you uncomfortable. Thank you so much. And honestly, I enjoyed that somebody else gave us a topic to talk yeah. about. So if you have a topic that you would be interested in getting our input on, we would absolutely welcome it. You can email us at likeheartedpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave us some comments in our sub stack. And if you would like, follow along on Instagram at likeheartedpod. Talk to you soon.